Hello and welcome to another episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. My guest on this episode is former Team GB Paralympian James Roberts. We talk all about James's athletics career as well as finding out the worst gift he's ever been given. So James, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. It's great to have you here. That's my pleasure and thanks again for asking me, James. No problem at all. I wanted to go right back to the beginning, if you don't mind. Just sort of start at the beginning and talk about your sort of early childhood and growing up. Uh, if we go start right back to the beginning and obviously answer your question that you, you've you've asked me. Uh, I was born with my disability, uh, very much um, one of probably a single swim mentality that I was born into because my grandparents were, in the, were fought during World War II. My mother had been working for NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Up until this point would have been 10, 10 years, I think, at that time when I was born. And I think that resiliency was very much adopted by myself because I never saw my situation as adverse. Most people will say it is, and it's very much empowering to other people. I'm starting to see the empowerment aspect a lot, lot more as I talk about it. And I think for me, obviously it was probably only a natural progression to to go from able-bodied sports and make that transfer over to disability sport. And then obviously the, the world was my oyster in terms of, you know, wanting to climb up the ladder little by little, going from... Uh, being in the development team or potential team as it was called back then uh, with British Swimming to then being ultimately at the other end of being dropped two years later to the highs of making three world championships with British Rowing and my first Paralympics uh, to the lows of classification and being, you know, having to retire from a very successful career at that point. Uh, to then obviously given an opp- another opportunity with volleyball and culminating in, in, well, my second games in London 2012 and to round off probably a, probably an illustrious career. Absolutely fantastic. When did you first begin to get involved in sport then at a young age? The earliest memory I can think of is as an eight-year-old and my mum was trying to find sports where I would learn about the disability probably more so. So my first realms into sport would have been in martial arts and people will find this very funny now because uh, I was very undisciplined at that age. (laughs) Uh, The highest I got was obviously a white belt because I just couldn't grasp. It was either the pace or it was too slow, I'm a very shy and reserved person most of the time. So you would have thought I would excel in in a discipline like that is very structured, very tailored and very orchestrated in terms of it's very regimented. I thought I would probably excel. Probably did later on uh, when it was introduced in high school, um, Taekwondo. And I very much was asking questions of the... um, the instructor, I can't remember the terminology they use for the for the actual person for the for the <laughs> martial arts, so I do apologize. But I would ask questions. Obviously, I can't kick. 
because we're wearing a prosthetic. It'd be too heavy to do it. On our, could hurt somebody. <laughs> but he was very much able to find a way around that and be adaptable to it and do it more along the lines of, you know, attacking and, and defensive things that I could do with my upper body. So I think I even had to do a demonstration. But a competitive sport, I didn't do until I was 10. And because of the, the base being multicultural or multinational, it's got a very much American theme about it. So there'd be a lot of American sports that I've done back then. So I did tempering bowling, but obviously to the British audience, you only think of that like recreational, but whereas for the yeah. Americans, you can go to university and then have a career out of it. Incredible. I didn't obviously have aspirations of that, but it was one way to be able to be among my, my peers and my friends growing up until I had to obviously make a decision between swimming and bowling. And obviously swimming uh, took more importance. don't know why orig- originally, but I can obviously see in hindsight now, it was a very logical decision back at, I think, 12, I stopped bowling, 12, 13, uh, because I couldn't balance the two. It interests me that you were drawn towards sport, because um, I've never discussed this on the podcast previously or anything, but I have cerebral palsy. And for me, um, sport was something I shied away from, personally. I, and I, I feel like the real pinpointing moment that I felt I was, say, different to my peers was certainly in sort of PE lessons growing up in sort of junior school and then onto secondary school as well. But I'm just interested in the fact that you, sport was obviously something that I shied away from, whereas you went and excelled at it. I think it's because of my peer group as uh, in primary school. That's probably why I, I was very much, if you want to use loosely the jock term, I was very in that crowd. It was sport, everything revolved around sport, you know, engrossing myself, watching it, listening to it. And if you, you listen to conversations probably up until my early twenties, very sports, centric uh and you couldn't get an edgeway in the conversation if it wasn't related to that or i'd have or i'd kind of orchestrate it back to that uh it was very one trick pony but i think for me i can relate to the 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 issues would be more so in secondary school because the PE teacher you know is obviously going to show you you're an eye age but you know they would do certain things that obviously they can't do nowadays in terms of like putting limiting beliefs on you on yourself as well you, you're not good enough because of this yeah uh, and i think it came to a, a swimming lesson you can't remember how old i was probably about 13 14 and he and i challenged him to a race and he, he let me pick the stroke that was a big mistake um <laughs> Because ultimately I picked butterfly, which is technically the most difficult one. And because of, you know, I've been born with a disability, you're going to acquire that strength a lot quicker than, than other people. And, yeah. and I was very well built at that age. So well, I've got confidence in myself that I can beat you. I ended up humiliating the teacher. So he wasn't very, he wasn't <laughs> as pleased uh, with me. I think I gained his respect but ultimately he had to take a lot of abuse from the pupils for for a little bit. It's like, well, you deemed that you were going to beat me because you're six foot plus 
my mountain, I've, I've, I would like to beg to differ. <laughs> when you began uh, training for your swimming, how, how grueling was that training regime when you first started swimming uh, competitively? Uh, not that difficult back then because I would have been about 11. So I started pre- like prematurely quite late uh, in terms of the, the swimming basis. Um, and I still keep in touch with uh, my first coach, his wife, because um, obviously he died a couple, I think it was about not long after I went to university. And he sat down with my mom. Uh, in the early days as well, how can we use James's disability to his advantage? And that's why they came up with the idea of me starting to learn butterfly at a younger age than was a customary at that time in, in, in obviously the, the European Forces Swim League, which is makes up like all the bases in, in, in Europe uh, for the for the kids. And I started relatively young a lot of people weren't doing it at that time we're talking like late 90s uh-huh. but everybody started following my trend as like getting more and more young kids to do it a lot of them almost drowning because of it it's like well <laughs> we're only doing this to put me at a more oh no not more to say less of it as a disadvantage because i'm going to be a little bit more developed than the other kids because I had to to make allowances early days to be a little bit more top heavy uh, to to make up for missing one of the limbs. You competed in a number of different sports that you mentioned right at the beginning. There, did you find it ever difficult to transition from discipline to discipline? Physically, not really. Swimming to rowing is the training is somewhat similar as uh, there's, there's an aerobic component and obviously strength and conditioning uh, it goes hand in hand with every sport that I did I think more from the probably the mental and the emotional I've never really thought about it but I think from the emotional probably a big big turning point was to 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 leave swimming behind because I'd done it for you know, since the age of 11 until I was 19. So it was actually the longest sport I ever did in, in any capacity. And being able to, you know, you're not going to excel to Paralympic status in that. That's okay. And to be able to, to walk away, there, there was probably some grudges towards it because you are you are discarded pretty easily in, in, in um, performance sport and rightly or wrongly, that's how it is, is a business. Yeah. And I, I know that now probably was naive back, back as a 18, 19 year old. It's like, well, oh, I can excel in this and be paid for it. But you don't think of it as the flip side of the, you know, the other end of the knife. Uh, it could quite easily stab you in the back. But I think the transitions to, to, to that of rowing and volleyball were made easier because of, the setup we've got here in Wales of uh, being probably at the forefront within Paralympic sport as if you don't excel in, in one sport or another, we'll give you another opportunity in something else. So it, it never dawned on me that I wasn't going to make it in sport. It, I probably thought of it probably in like a quick instance of, I talk about it quite, quite a lot in copy of, you know, I've been dropped from swimming 
And here after here and after the Christmas break, I'll be coming back to be a regular student. That never happened. Yeah. Uh, I was quickly uh, thrust into to rowing, trying it out on land, picked up the skill a lot quicker than I ever thought I would. And within probably the space of an hour, two hours, oh, we're going to go out on the water now. And if you'd have said to me the day before, you would have been you would have been able to pick up a skill set that quickly. I'd have probably said you were crazy. <laughs> it's incredible. I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience uh, representing Team GB at the Paralympics. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about how does the selection process work for when you're being selected to represent Team GB? It's pretty brutal and there's lots of politics that people don't see behind the scenes in, in every every sport going irrespective of Paralympics or Olympics. If we use probably the most recent one, because that's the easiest one, is easy, easy one okay. to re- recollect. The coach has got his favourites as well, <laughs> and I knew in my heart to hearts I was never going to be a kiss kiss ass athlete. <laughs> um, I was never going to uh, lower myself to that. So I was like, "Well, I'll toe the toe the line. I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want, which ultimately was to compete on home soil." but I won't go to that extreme. And I talked to a teammate that didn't make the cut probably months ago and it's still raw to him as to why he didn't make the team. But I can always remind him as to what he did wrong. Uh, it was very, very probably infantile thing to say and very, very naive. He, the first time he met the coach, he said, oh, have you turned up in your wife's car? Which everybody would obviously laugh at that comment because it's, it's comical. <laughs> but it's not the right thing to say no. when ultimately that person has your future in his hands. I would do whatever it took. I, there was obviously times where I had to step on people's toes. I had to be held accountable a couple of times and like, okay, I'm not maybe doing the best that I can, which doesn't help the team in the long run, but it's a long, it's an art long and arduous process. I think people say, Oh, I couldn't cut it when they look at it from the in, the outside looking in. I think for, for me, it was everything I ever wanted from the age of probably about 14. I wanted to don British tracksuit. I wanted to, well, had, had the hope, had aspirations and hopes of hearing, obviously, God save the Queen. But that never happened other than internationals where it's played before you start competing not that you've won a medal uh-huh. uh on being on top of the rostrum but i think for me i do have the satisfaction to say well you didn't get the pinnacle but it doesn't shape your identity i i can disassociate myself from james the athlete anytime that i want and i think this you know, this year alone has proven that. It's, I, I I play wheelchair basketball now. I've played the sport once in the last six months. I don't, I, I do miss the people, but I haven't missed the sport. So I think I've grown up a lot from the athlete that retired from international level seven years ago in terms of, if I would ask the same question of myself seven years ago, I probably would have struggled. It's like, well, I can't dissociate myself from James the athlete and James in normal society. It was very 
ambiguous. It was very much one and the same. Whereas now, I can be more, you know, multiple people if I want to be. I can be uh, James with a disability, as somebody asked uh, today on a podcast. I can be James the coach. I can be James the athlete. I can be James uh, with mixed race. I can I can come at it from many different angles to be able to make a point and I think that serves enormously to be able to but I serve as a greater purpose I come up I can come at something from multiple angles to make a point all right then James let's talk gifts for a second In, in terms of gifts have you got anything that people have say bought you year on year on year that you don't particularly like but because you've got a big collection of something people keep buying it because they think you like it, but you don't. Well, this is this is no fault of their own. This is my <laughs> doing. I would say probably books because I like I like them, but some are not very well written, so I kind of <laughs> easily put them down. So they they work better. They probably work better as doorstops. <laughs> but I would say probably autobiographies because there's five or six in the other room alone that I have not read, and that's obviously year on year. <laughs> have you ever bought? anyone a bad gift on purpose uh probably but probably this going this is this is you know how secret santa goes and oh it? yeah uh, everybody's everybody's had a bad gift uh <laughs> just going back to my days in education you i was only in the job uh a few months so you're trying to guess what a person will like yeah and obviously you can't go wrong with uh um what did i end up getting you know, shower, shower stuff. Oh yeah. Man. But that's not a great, that's not really a great, you don't really want to be on the receiving and getting that either. <laughs> Gives off the wrong message. I wanted to touch a little bit on James Roberts fitness, which I know you set up. When did you decide to set that up and what work have you been doing? I started that company way back in 2015 and that came about because uh, I'd been unemployed for two years after I retired in 2016 and I got fed up of you know hearing the nose uh-huh. well let's just do something really bra- rash and, and start up my own company uh, and then go from there and obviously went on scouring the internet well how do I become a level three personal trainer uh, just pick the, the top of the list uh, training academy and these are very naive things to do uh, I know that it, looking back upon it, it was I was very lucky because I've heard horror stories of people being you know hung out to dry by the training companies yeah. paying X amount like thousands thousands of pounds and then nothing to show for it and it's it's a ruthless business as it is the fitness industry because I think in the first year alone I think 80% of the businesses fail so for me to be still here five years on is a massive achievement. Absolutely. Um, but it's been an evolution, I think, of the the business because it wasn't all plain sailing because uh, I did have to go back to a nine-to-five job 18 months ago um, because I kind of went into a kind of a, like, a bit of a spiral and, and being a victim as, you know, one client after another was falling by the wayside, but I was doing nothing about it uh, and kind of expecting people to fall at my doorstep. And I know now that's impossible. Uh, you're not this massive corporate entity of, you know, like a Nike 
or an Under Armour that people will come to your doorstep just because for the name uh, and that alone. Obviously, the aspirations are there to be able to to have something similar. But if I don't hit those heights, that's okay. But it's obviously been a change, and I've gone through a rebrand um, in the last two, three months to go away from James Robert Fitness to James. And this is going to be a mouthful for me because it's getting my head around it as we speak. James Owen Roberts coaching. And I think the coaching element allows me to be able to operate a little bit more diversely as I can go into more, uh, if I want to go down the route of training, if I want to go down the route of nutrition or down the route of mindset, I can do them separately as of, whereas when it was James Robert fitness, I was kind of, by no fault of their own, you know, people having this assumption of, oh, it's fitness on a tin, so it must be something to do with training. Whereas I think by rebranding to the coaching, it gives me license to pick and choose or, you know, the consumer have a choice as well. I just want one aspect of what James is offering as opposed to it has to be all in this this present or a package all in and you know with a like nice little bow on top you mentioned mindset there which leads me on nicely to your podcast which is the mindset athlete podcast tell us a bit about it that's that's evolved over the years as well uh because originally the 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 original guys of that was the see if i get it right now mindset game which was very much playing on the the sport a little bit i don't ever i don't know if everybody anybody ever picked up on that's what i was trying to do with it because uh, everybody nobody's ever actually commented on it but it was a chance meeting i had with a um stand person within with podcasting and we kind of brainstormed as well who would be your ideal client to work with initially and i was like well athletes because you don't really you don't really need to help tell them too much to get them on tender hooks and they're kind of chomping at the bit to get going but i think obviously as that has evolved it's kind of given an inside perspective on me because it's been coming back to my, my comment earlier of, you know, I, I'm diverse in terms of I've got my disability, I've got my academia, I've got my coaching, uh, I've got the race aspect and I can bring, you know, so much to the table and just the questioning to be able to be all eyes open and reading the, the, the situation at hand and then coming up with, I don't know where these questions come from sometimes. And I wouldn't <laughs> want to be on the receiving end of some of the, some of the ones I've asked in, a, in the last two months alone. But there's some pretty brutal questions in terms of how can society learn from sport? And when I released this one, the NBA went on strike. Uh-huh. And you're thinking, well, how did you know when you recorded that episode four weeks prior to it happening the exact question is where we're at in the, in the state of affairs where sport is willing to, you know, people to work their entire lives to get to the pinnacle of their sport and they're willing to down tools. 
just for you know that something that's more important than sport and i and i did some echoes something similar things about a week ago on instagram with uh, the nfl starting and i put there's things that are more important than sport and this person behind the scenes said oh it's i never thought i'd see somebody from across the pond would talk about a rhetoric that you know something some things are greater more some, some things are greater and more important than sport but what I was echoing for what I meant was I was going above and beyond Black Lives Matter. I was looking at it. Well, you know, we, we stopped sport in Europe for two to three months. The US did a little bit as well. But if we can't get our grasp and control of what people are doing, we're quite happy to, you know, if we have to close pubs, if we have to shut down sport, which would probably be the, you know, the last case scenario, some cities are willing to do that. Uh, whereas would you, whereas would the Americans do that? I'm not so sure, but to see the NBA kind of say, well, enough's enough. We're going to hurt you where it hurts the most. And we're going to take an entertainment piece away, which what sport is, even if athletes are a little bit delusional to the fact that they're entertainers, it's just a different way of entertaining. We need to do it. And I think as role models, that sport is, needs to take on, you know, a different take on what it is to be a role model. It's not your, your influence in a person to gain more popularity. It's your chance to be able to speak your mind on you know, issues that affect everybody. Wrapping up, if you had to go right back to the beginning of your sporting career and give yourself a mm. gift to help to get where you are now, what gift would you give yourself? Ooh, that's a great question. What gift would I give myself? Probably the innate, innate wisdom that I have now because you, you, you wouldn't, I wouldn't make the same mistakes that I did uh, along the way. And I probably would obviously learn from them a lot quicker uh, and try not to make them because I've already, uh, it's very much, you know, very much like, oh gosh, uh, Christmas Carol uh, doing like that, you know, being able to see into the future yeah, and, and be, if we were to do this, this is what's going to happen. Uh, so I, I would say probably that one, it's uh, a, a gift, probably, a Christmas future and seeing, well, if you play out the way that you intend it, this is how it's going to end up. However, you can do something about it. And finally, James, where can people find out more about you and what you do? You can find me on all social media platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, if you're the business professional, uh, or like you said in the episode, my podcast, you can find the Minds Athlete on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Well, James, it's been absolutely great to sit down and chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks again for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at BadGivesPod, as well as online at BadGivesPod.com.